And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisbee in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisbee, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Episode 8 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Uh, the show is presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Hunter, how are you doing today? Grant, I am very excited to be here, pumped for another Baseball Barista and for our first guest, a special guest. We've been talking about, oh, we need to get a guest on, we need to get a guest on. Well, our first guest is uh, about as special a guest as we could possibly imagine. Uh, I know you're super excited to talk to him. Our first guest on the Baseball Barista is Drew Robinson, outfielder for the Sacramento Rivercats. We're going to ask him some questions and talk to him, and I'm super, super excited. Yeah, one of the uh, best stories in all of baseball, one of the the greatest messages and and just life in general. And, um, you know, just a comeback story, uh, went through some dark times, battled through it, uh, survived a suicide attempt. And now he has re-come back and hit a home run in his hometown in the first series. So uh, really special last week, what he was able to accomplish and just check in on on what's going on and, and what he has to say. I got to spend a lot of time with him last year, just talking through things and going over. And to me, there was not another guest I would I would want to have as my first guest, just being as I'm such a, a mental health advocate, and you know that's what's most important to me in all of this. And I think baseball is actually a lesson in self mastery. So I'm super excited to talk to him and see what he has to say. And in the top of the second, the Rivercats own a 3-1 advantage. There's a long drive to right field. Back goes Pinder, and this one's out of here. Drew Robinson at a Silverado High School. All right, we have a baseball barista first. We have our first guest. We are going to pepper Drew Robinson with some questions. Drew, outfielder for the Sacramento Rivercats, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited to have my good friend Drew Robinson on the show for the first guest. And the fact that you know, what you have accomplished is one of the best feel-good stories. It's one of the best messages that I think that baseball and the world needs is, is your message and your story. I would like to just get your thoughts, Drew, on making the AAA team, the AAA roster, and on hitting a home run in Las Vegas where you grew up, where, where the incident happened. So welcome to the show, and uh, talk to me a little bit about that first home run, Drew. 
it was exciting, man. It was, it was one of the most powerful experiences I've felt. And I've had a lot of those experiences in the last year. So being able to come back full circle and be able to play my first game since my incident in front of my family, my friends, I even had some of the doctors that put me back together. They were at the stadium, um, being able to play in front of them and just kind of accomplish that thing that I worked so hard for is like getting back when there was a lot of times that I didn't think it was possible. So being able to just like hear my name announced, interact with my teammates and take the field in front of all, all my support system in Las Vegas. I don't know if I have the words yet to do it justice because it felt so amazing to do it. And for the first time, actually, in my career, I was able to like let the emotions take over in a good way. I shared some emotions on the field with some teammates and it was pretty funny. I was asking some people around me, who the hell's cutting onions in here? <laughs> I really couldn't hold back the tears a lot of times. It was a really cool experience and it's definitely something I'll never forget. The video of the home run was tweeted by Jeff Passan. Uh, the Rivercats tweeted it out. And every time the video was tweeted out, it was just boom, thousands and thousands of retweets and likes. And, and it went, you know, viral than more minor league videos go. I mean, trust me, there aren't a lot of minor league videos that go viral. Did you pick up on that? Did you get a sense of, you know, people are responding to this and in a big, big way? I kept up with it and I'm, I'm definitely aware of the attention that it got. And I'm just really fortunate because. My Twitter is a very positive place. My Twitter, my social media is, I've been fortunate enough to, to get everyone's best energy throughout this. Um, a lot of people just throwing their love at me, throwing their support. So it's a really good thing for me to go on social media is when I know at, at times those things can get a little detrimental. But for me, it's like so uplifting to see everyone's kind words and, and messages. So I'm definitely aware of it and I definitely keep up with it because like I said, it's, it's a feel good thing for me. And it's uh, really cool to see everyone's support being thrown at me. How important, Drew, do you think that like it's great like getting that support, but let's say like the average person doesn't always get that kind of positivity. And how important do you think it is that we are treating each other and like kinder to each other in general? Obviously, that support is great, but I would just like to hear, I guess the things that really mean a lot to me is kind of like your message to this whole thing. Your journey was a wild one. And I know you're really open about it in the E60 and everyone. I think it, I think just hearing your story, it's kind of like, whoa, like I need to make sure that I'm like being a good friend and that, you know, I'm letting people know how I feel and I'm not holding in what I think but I want to hear like your message and your journey of like what shifted in you the most and I know you're still in the middle of your story because you got a long way to go and a lot of work to do but just share with me a little bit about what you've learned the most from from this whole process I think something that's interesting is that I look at it as a message not my message because I think this is way bigger than me and it's just something that I'm taking part in because it's really just more about like the overall message of spreading love and spreading good energy to the people around you, whether it be your closest friend or some stranger on the street. Like you said, I've, I've been fortunate enough to like feel that support from a lot of people. And that's something that I'm learning that I want to start giving back and maybe spread the message of like just letting people know how important it is to get some outer validation every once in a while. Because something that I've focused on a lot is inner validation. But no matter how you chalk it up, it feels really good to hear compliments every once in a while or hear some good things from other people from the outer world. So I think it's more important to focus on the message that I'm, that I'm talking about rather than my message. Cause I think it's, it's a little bit of everyone involved and it's coming from a lot of different angles from people with all kinds of different experiences and stuff. So I think it's just one of those things that's a lot bigger than me. And it's something that I'm really fortunate enough to be able to be taking part in because a year ago I had no interest in doing anything like this. So <laughs> it's uh, really cool to be able to be a part of this uh, mental health journey and be an advocate to spread some love and some good energy to people. Yeah. I mean, I love that it, it is a message, but it's a powerful message. And one of the things that's really intriguing to me is like, 
you know, I was, you know, with you in spring training and with regards to everything that happened, like the COVID thing happened, things got weird. You didn't really let anyone know that it was really difficult to know that anything was going on. And I just kind of want to know, like, what was going on mentally that like within you that, that kind of brought up that decision? And then what was the release that, that brought about this message? And you have so many teammates and we all want to be the best teammate we can be. And we all want to like, we all want to be there for everyone. And even your thoughts, you, you told me like a lot of times you didn't like the positive message from people like beforehand. And, but now you're like, whoa, like this is actually really important. And I think that awakening that, hey, it actually does matter is really powerful for people to hear and to know. Before my incident, I was so against cliches. <laughs> it used to make my skin crawl. Just like that positivity is just so forced and so fake. It doesn't feel genuine because just for me, I was going through so much inner misery that anything positive felt like it was fake because that's the only real thing I knew was at that time, I thought the only real thing I knew was mental like suffering. So I've done a lot of reflecting since then. And I've realized I wish I could have tapped into all the, the feelings, emotions that I was feeling like at the field or with friends before an incident, because that was the realest thing about me. Unfortunately, I really focused on when I would go home and be by myself and, and really struggled with that, that mental distresses. And I thought that was the realest thing about me. So when I would go to the field and, and hang out with my teammates, I thought those really good feelings was fake. And now looking back, I've realized that that was the realest thing about me, like being a goofy guy and hanging out with the guys and, and making light of situations was the realest thing about me. But at the time, I just, I really thought the only thing that I was really feeling and the only thing real about me was how bad of a person I was and how fake I was being towards people because it, when I went home, I was really struggling and I never let anyone in to understand that and to know that. So it's just a powerful thing because the first moment after my first surgery, the first like clear thought I had after anesthesia wore off was like, man, I just want to tell everyone how much I love them. <laughs> it was just so powerful. I can't describe it. And it's like this physical feeling I had where I was like, I'm so appreciative of everything. I'm so happy I'm still here. I was so clear. I just wanted to let people know how much I care about them and that I can maybe use this in a positive to help other people not go through what I went through. Like I said, that was within an hour of waking up from my first surgery after attempting suicide. So this doesn't make sense. So there's something much bigger happening here that I don't have any control over necessarily, but it's something I'm trying to tap into and spread throughout my circle of people and hopefully a bigger audience, because I think it's so powerful and so important to just appreciate the little things in life and appreciate the love that is shared between everybody. One thing when I was reading the story uh, from Jeff Passan and ESPN.com was the idea of being a, you're out of high school, you're 18 years old. And the transition from being one second year in high school and the next second you're, you know, in a different part of the country, away from family and friends, uh, it's now you're expected to work. You have a very narrowly defined job and expectations are, are building and building and building. It's something we forget about on, on the outside. Like you just turn on the TV and there's baseball games, and there's baseball players. And where do they come from? I don't know. But you forget that like some of them just had to be thrown into the deep end of the pool as a teenager. Is that as hard as I'm making it? seem it just seems like the hardest thing in the world to be surprised you're a professional baseball player now it's just one of the things that you you really can't prepare for you can do your best to work out physically you can do your best to train to be the best baseball player but that first culture shock is just something you can't prepare for I think looking back I could have done a better job of just like assessing what what I was going through and like taking it for what it was because it was just like a just an overwhelming culture shock I just I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing necessarily. I didn't ask questions beforehand. So I didn't like 
even give my chance to prepare for it. So I was just so blindly going into everything that when things didn't go as smoothly as they could, I just like completely locked up. And I just thought that it was the world working against me. And like, of course, me like playing the victim card. So it was definitely tough. And I've always been hard on myself. So I would say that I was even a more immature 18 year old than most 18 year olds. So I think it was just another recipe for unfortunate disaster, but it's just something that you kind of have to take it for what it is and take it one step at a time, because I was trying to like make it to the big leagues the first day of practice as an 18 year old in Arizona league, which it just doesn't happen. So I remember talking with some teammates, man, if I'm not in the big leagues in a year and a half, maybe I should probably quit baseball, like having no clue what the process was like, what I was really getting myself into, because like I said, I just didn't ask questions. I didn't understand the process. And it's really interesting because I had a brother who was playing professional baseball at the time. That's just like an example of how closed off I was. Like I didn't reach out to a family member to ask what it was like and what I was getting myself into. I just like wanted to do things on my own. I didn't like accept anything from anybody. And I was just so closed off, unfortunately. And like I said, it just it got detrimental and it led to a lot of uh, unfortunate stressors in my life that I wasn't able to process at the time. I think of like how difficult and how much failure goes on in baseball. And especially as a hitter, we fail most of the time. You have to be some kind of soul, some kind of spirit to handle this and be okay with yourself. Because I can imagine being an 18-year-old kid. With, I, I fortunately went through college. And like the three years that I was in the minor leagues feels like forever. And like you said, like if you're 18 and you have about five, six years, you're making it to the big leagues. You're getting sent down. So basically you're taking so many hits to your like spirit, to your ego, to like it is a tough world. And, and like to continue on is tremendously hard. But I would want to ask you, Drew, like I have so many questions, but I want to ask you, what would be your advice if there was an 18-year-old kid that was similar to you? Like, what would be your advice to them? And, and where, where do we gain our strength to, as hitters, as baseball players that have to make that crazy wild journey? Yeah, what would you tell them? At the very beginning of my career, I wish I would have asked more questions. Like I said, I, I thought that I had to do everything on my own. I didn't accept like any outer help. I wanted to do it all on my own. And I, and I, did, I didn't like decide that at the time when I was 18. I just like, that's just kind of how I was programmed, I guess. I just, I didn't ask for help. I didn't like, I tried not to create waves. I didn't want to like seem like an inconvenience to anybody. So I, I just kind of went about my business as like uniformed as possible without trying to figure things out as quickly as possible. I was just kind of like along for the ride. So I would definitely tell myself to ask more questions, to try to get as prepared as possible for whatever is coming. Because like I said, it's a long journey and it was a lot of, a lot of failures and a lot of lessons learned without wanting to learn those lessons. So I would ask questions and just try to do your best to take things for what they are and like understand that a couple of mistakes in a row doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you're failing at life. It just means that you're, you're trying to learn things as you go. You can't get mad at yourself for something you don't know. So Baseball is one of those games where you have to like go through a lot of things that you think that you know, but you're really just still trying to learn the full thing. So for me, I, I would say I would ask a lot more questions and I would just really focus on the process and the patience instead of trying to like really focus on if I do this right now today, maybe I'll get to the big leagues tomorrow. And like, it was like all like, what's next, what's next, what's next, give me more, give me more, give me more. And it's really like, how can I just enjoy the moment in the process right now to help me succeed right now in this moment instead of what's going to make me get to the big leagues tomorrow.
I mean, that is the idea of baseball is a game of failure. You know, that's like a, a recurring theme for Hunter. And it's so true. And it's something like I constantly am thinking about because every baseball player you see at any level. So most of them were the, the best baseball player in T-ball. Then they get to middle school. They're the best baseball player in middle school. Then they're the best baseball player in high school. Some of them are the best baseball player in college. Then they get to A-ball. Well, maybe you struggle for the first time in your baseball career, your entire life. Or maybe maybe that's an A-ball. Maybe that's in AAA. Maybe it's in the majors. But at some point, a lot of players are experiencing struggles at baseball, this game they've played their whole life for the first time. When you hit those struggles for the first time as a baseball player, what would you go back in time and tell yourself? I mean, like, how did you handle it at first? And how would you maybe go back and tell yourself, hey, you know, baseball is kind of a game of failure. Don't worry about it. That's a tough question for me because <laughs> I was like never letting myself enjoy being the best player. Cause like even in high school, when I was hitting like 500, I was still like freaking out every time I made it out. I was coming back in slamming stuff as I was hitting like 500. So like I might be the one of the last guys to ask that question, but I definitely remember the first time I got to pro ball and I was hitting like in AZL, I think my first year in rookie ball, I hit like 290 and it felt like I was hitting like 50 <laughs> because I just got done hitting so well in high school. So it's like you kind of like get that first sense of struggling a, a little bit even though you're not struggling in the baseball sense but you just feel like you're not doing what you're you've been doing your whole life so it just doesn't feel right and then the next year when I went to my next year of short season I was like the worst player in the league statistically so again I was only like 19 at the time and I was I, like I mentioned earlier I think I was a little bit more immature of a 18 and 19 year old because I didn't progress as well as much as I would want but I did not handle it well I remember in professional baseball soon in the dugout after games crying i remember like calling my family and telling people what i need to do tomorrow like to get ready for this release that's about to happen tomorrow like once i get released tomorrow what job should i apply for when i get back in a couple of days like i can't tell you how many times i i was like not looking forward to but like planning on this eventual release that was going to happen because i was doing so bad performance wise so what i'm learning now because i'm i'm actually kind of experiencing some of those things now with a little bit of struggles again i'm like, kind of like going to like panic mode again, but I'm really trying to focus on what I said earlier about the process and like enjoying what I can in the moment. And like, what can I do right now to help me succeed in the next like two to five minutes instead of like the next three to six months to try to get back to the big leagues or whatever. So I would really tell myself to focus on the process and focus on like the current moment instead of like looking so forward to the future and always like wanting more in the moment, more in the, in the now. And like, just more, more, more. That's that's what I always like focus on and get trouble with is I'm always like looking what's next, what's next and never being present and never like really putting all my focus into what I'm doing right now. So I was always a little like distracted basically. So I wasn't ever fully there. And for me, I think if I would have went back and, and realized that sooner, I could have maybe had more success sooner. It definitely snowballs on you. And, and hearing that story as, as a 19 year old and knowing the pressure in the moment and how much like each game you feel as a player, like you won 0 for 4 and then or like your numbers are like down and, and you're like, I can't like have a good game and even be out of this. Like I could go 4 for 4 tomorrow and I'm still hitting 215. It's a punishing feeling and like and feeling the pressure of being like released. So but how can you like relax and enjoy and like it does snowball because you add that pressure and you try to do more and then you get out of your moment. I want to ask or talk about, I think it's really cool, your decision. And I, I loved your Instagram before you went to spring training showing your body before and after and just your decision and the work you put in. And like this was something that I personally always looked at and like where I could detach from those results or those numbers for me and my career was like, I'm going to put in the work. 
and I'm at peace with what happens because I know I did everything I could. And if it's not meant to be, it's not to, meant to be. That's kind of how I let go. It's like, as long as I did the work, I have nothing to worry about. But if I wasn't prepared and I didn't do the work or I made a decision, let's say I made a decision to go out to the bar the night before or something, and then I didn't have a good game, that was never happening again. You know, you make that mistake. So I would have something to blame. But if I did everything right and had nothing to blame, at least for me, but I want to hear you made the decision and you put in the work. I don't care what numbers you put up. You already hit the homer in Vegas. Like you're on the team. And I know there's a long way to go. And you have the story is, is unfolding, the, the Disney story. But like what you have accomplished means so much to me in this world and like where you are today. I'm very proud that I like got to talk to you a little bit on this journey. But so like talked about working out, making a gym in your garage, you know, going and hitting every day and just like how you feel about that. Yeah. That's another thing along with like focusing on the process and the present moment. That's the other thing I'm trying to really work on this year because I've always had a really good work ethic, but I never trusted it. For some reason it was like, again, I got, I needed to do more to succeed. So if I wasn't succeeding, that means I needed to do more before the game or before or after the game or whatever. So, but I was already doing a lot of work, like physical work. So that's something that I'm, that I'm trying to focus on now because I did put in the work and it's something that I, had, I didn't trust in the past. So trusting in myself and trusting in my best effort is like, for some reason, that's the hardest thing to do for me, but that's all I can ask of myself. So putting in as much work as I did, trusting that my ability will take over and like just trusting my decisions sounds so easy when I say it out loud and it's on paper. But when I get in the moment, for some reason, that's still like one of my bigger challenges. So getting back in the gym wasn't easy at first. I remember I was basically bedridden for three or four months after my incident. So I was like skinny as hell and like really stiff. But I remember in the first couple of times I was working out, I was like, this just hurts. <laughs> like everything hurts getting back into it. But I was able to push through it. And I don't know, that's something that when I look back and when I'm in the moment now and I'm able to look back at those things, I'm I get really proud of myself for it. But that's something that I'm not able to apply as well as I would like in the moment. But it's something that I'm definitely working on because I think it would definitely be a big separator in my game because what else can I ask myself? I'm, I'm trying my hardest out here. I'm giving everything I have and whatever happens, happens. And like you said, if, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be, but I know that I definitely put in the work and it's something that I can really rely on and lean on still today. Now, I have no idea what it's like to be a professional baseball player, but I do know what it's like as far as I have the job that I wanted when I was a teenager. I'm a baseball writer, right? And so like, I have this job that a lot of people aspire to. And it makes it so that when I'm having a bad day and I have a lot of bad days and when I am thinking to myself, gosh, I should have been a teacher or when I'm just sitting here going, what am I doing? Like, it's hard to have those bad days without feeling guilty as a baseball player. Did the idea of like, why am I having these bad days? I, I'm playing a kid's game. This should be fun. Like, are you able to overcome that a little bit better now? Because it's a struggle that I always have. It's like trying to not feel guilty when I have these bad, bad days, because I feel like I should, every day should be like, you know, Disneyland. This is just, it should be the, the most fun anyone could have. No, that's like one of the most consistent feelings that I have still, because it's almost like a new level. I think I've like adjusted that feeling from going from, oh, I'm playing a kid's game. I should be happy. I should be feeling a lot better about myself than I do. But now it's like, it's gotten to another level because it's like, I should feel happy about myself because I'm doing this with one eye after what I've went through. Like I shouldn't even worry about results, but it's like, I'm still a competitor. So I'm trying to look at it as like using it as a compass almost. If everything just felt great all the time, I probably wouldn't work as hard as I did. I'm almost at times thankful for it, even though it feels so uncomfortable at the time. But like 
stepping back and like giving thanks to either the failures or giving thanks to that guilty feeling of wanting better for myself, even though I have a really good situation and opportunity with me already, giving thanks for that uncomfortable feeling because it's kind of guiding me to work harder or work a different way or work smarter and try to make those adjustments to be a better, either what baseball player, teammate, friend, whatever it is. It's just like, I kind of use it as a compass now, but that doesn't ignore the fact that it's, it's definitely an uncomfortable feeling that that shame of like, I should be happy right now. But like, what does that mean exactly? Like I should, I should like getting rid of that word should is something that I try to do, but I'm not always successful in it. But feeling that level of guilt for not being on top of the world at all times is kind of irrelevant because that's just how life is. It's, it's teaching you at times. It's letting you enjoy things at times. It just depends on what, what the time is. And uh, I'm just trying to learn from each moment and enjoy the times when it does feel like I'm on top of the world. Yeah, the shoulds are, is definitely a trap. I shoulda, 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 coulda. I agree. It, it's a difficult trap. I really want to thank you for being our first guest for such a wonderful message. Is there any last thing that you would want to share or, or say or, or anything, any feelings? But mostly, thank you so much for being our first guest, sharing your great message, your hard work, your dedication, your true inspiration. And I just want to say thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you. I feel honored to be the first guest. <laughs> I know you and I have had a really cool connection throughout this whole process and it's meant a lot to me. And I think an overall message, and like I said, it's the message and I'm, instead of my message, I'm just kind of part of it. I think it's really important for people who are maybe feeling similar feelings as that we've talked about that it's important to talk to people. It doesn't need to be a super serious or very structured thing. Just maybe just talk a little bit more. And I think it's something that I'm learning and I can't describe why or exactly what's happening inside that makes me feel better. But I've learned that just talking about things is so healing. And when I go to my therapy sessions, I, for some reason, even when I'm talking about really ugly thoughts and ugly things, I feel better about it afterwards. And I've described it as a, in the past as like, if you were to compare it to venting to your friend, like sometimes you just kind of feel like venting about something negative to your friend. And you might even be aware that it's like, you're talking about something negative, but for some reason, after the fact, you just feel better about getting it off your chest. So I think anyone who is maybe struggling with some dark thoughts or struggling with some guilty feelings, I would recommend just try it out one time. Just talk to either a close friend, family member, or if, or if you have the resources, talk to a professional because it, it's seriously the most healing thing in the world. And it's something that I like really rely on today and throughout my whole process. So I guess that could be my message. And then the overall message is just spread love. Thanks again to Drew Robinson for coming on, being the first guest of the Baseball Barista. That was, I really, I learned a lot from that interview, and I'm very, very happy that that was our first guest. I, I think a lot of people need to hear his story. I think I need to hear his story in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it, it's a powerful story. It, it gives you some perspective and and realizing that, you know, I know in the data world and in the information world, we just look at the numbers, but there's there's a heart, there's emotions. And all of these players have gone through such a crazy journey to get to where they are. And it's just good for even life in general. And just like, hey, how are you? Hey, how am I? Check in, check in and, uh, you know, being there for each other. So I, I love Drew so much and uh, appreciate the message that he gives all of us. Okay, so you can follow him at Drew Rob on Instagram and Twitter with three B's. So Drew Rob, ba, 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 ba. So three B's, go check him out. It's good stuff. Send him some love. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we're going to switch gears here for uh, a little bit. It's the end of middle of May, getting close to the end of May, and the Giants and Dodgers are going to play for the first time all season, which seems weird. But I've been waiting all season to talk to you about this specifically because I know what Giants-Dodgers feels like from my perspective. I grew up in Candlestick. My parents would take me out. I saw drunk people in Candlestick, you know, yelling things that I shouldn't have been hearing at seven, eight years old. I've grown up in the rivalry. What's a rivalry like this to you on the field? Like, what's it like? Is there something different about it as a player? Is it just another series? I mean, how is it presented to you? And how are you taking it once you're on the Giants? I think everyone is unique and different, and it also changes throughout the years as like the teams kind of change because there's different managers, different players, different people, different stories with each team. You know, just like if you even look at like like as a fan watching the Red Sox Yankees when we were young was super intense, and then it's still intense, but it's not like you know in the eras where where they were fighting all the time and doing all this stuff. And for me personally, though, with the Dodgers Giants, it was intense most of the time. There was a lot more respect as, like, you know, Utley came over and Seeger and a lot of guys that, you know, kind of weren't as flashy as some of the other players. And But you still, it was still Giants-Dodgers, and it meant a lot. And it meant a lot to me and my spirit. And it was not just another series. You know, the Dodgers being as good as they've been for the whole time I was with the Giants, it was intense, and it meant a lot to us. Yeah, it's different because there was an era of Giants baseball where crowds were empty, crowds were empty, crowds were empty. Giants-Dodgers! crowd is full and I don't think you needed any extra help to feel something during those series but your Giants career was stands are full stands are full stands are full stands are also full and here are the Dodgers so like could you feel a difference in the crowd even though you were used to playing to a sold out house could you feel a difference 100% no matter we did have a long standing sellout record while I was there but when the Dodgers came, you just, it was louder. It was more intense. Like you felt it the whole day. It was a big deal, you know, and we took it very seriously. And, um, you know, I know that they did too. And we all respected each other and it was healthy. And like rivalry is what sports is about. It's fun to have a rival. It's really fun. Like I always dreamed, and this is something I was very sad that we would play the Dodgers in the playoffs one time. Like I dreamed of that and it just never, never happened for me. I still am going to, as a fan now, hope for that series. It's just a fun story. It's a fun matchup. It's fun to have a rival. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. 
tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Yeah, I'm going to come out at, with an unexpected question that you might not have been expecting. But years ago, I wrote about, okay, you've got Giants Dodgers, you've got Red Sox Yankees, you have Cubs Cardinals, right? In my article, oh gosh, it must have been 2015, 2016, Astros Rangers. And you grew up in Texas, you were high school in Texas, college in Texas. I am of the opinion that now they're both in the AL West. This should be the next, like, boffo rivalry. This should be up there with Cubs, Cardinals, Red Sox, Yankees, Giants, Dodgers. From your perspective, is that possible? Is Texas, like, ready for something like this? Is there, like, a Arlington-Dallas-Houston rivalry that can play into that? Well, not they're in the same division. I mean, like I said, like, I was with the with the Astros and like grew up in Texas, you know, following the Rangers and they never played each other. So it was like super rare when they started playing each other. You know, it was a big deal to us. And is it as intense as the Giants Dodgers? No, but it's definitely a rivalry. And I think, I think part of that's going to be time will tell. And, and what needs to happen is the Rangers and Astros both be at the top of the division, right? Like, so if the two teams are both at the top, like when I was with the Astros, the Rangers were really good. They had Hamilton and they were going to the World Series and losing in the World Series to the, the Cardinals. And uh, I don't know who else, who was the other team they lost to. It was a, uh, a popular series around my parts. It was the Giants. Giants got them. Yeah, 2010. <laughs> I didn't pay attention to that Giants world. <laughs> so like, and we were kind of in a rebuilding state, so we were just getting trounced by them. And then when I went over to the Rangers for the one year, the Astros had this like crazy awesome season. They ended up losing in the World Series that year. And we beat them more at home, but at their place, we didn't win a single game. We were kind of in like a wild card hunt for a while, but the thing is, is if they're battling, if, if the two teams are battling for the division, because Giants Dodgers have so much history that, and the fans have so much intensity that like as soon as you come in, like you're going to have to answer questions from all the media about it. They're going to let you know, and you're going to feel it on the field. So it definitely is there. There's a silver boot series that matters, but once those two teams are up there, I, I think it has potential. A lot of it has to do with time, but I also know how quickly the non-regional rivalries can just pop up and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, like in the 70s, the Yankees and Royals were a thing, right? You know, you had, that's the era of George Brett and you had the Yankees and the Royals and the ALCS and that was a huge thing that just sort of popped up because they were both good, both buttonheads. The Giants Cardinals have done that over the years. I remember the Giants Phillies, like after 2010, you had all of a sudden, it's like when the Phillies came to town as a Giants fan, you circled that series and you're like, all right, come on now, Phillies. And it was the same thing in Philadelphia. So some of it's time and some of it is just opportunistic. 
for instance, when the Giants and Phillies was kind of a thing, it was because those were the two teams. Like the Giants had won in 2010 and knocked the Phillies out when they were supposed to win. And 2011, the Phillies were really rolling everyone. They had three Cy Young candidates, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, uh, Roy Holiday. And they were just like the heavy, heavyweight favorite. And they lost a series to the Giants at home. And they kind of panicked. And I remember I came because the Giants had all these lefties. They were like, I came over to the Phillies. They were like, you're the right-handed power. We're here to beat the Giants. And when we came over in 2011, we had like a brawl. Victorino came and like charged whatever. So, Oh, uh, I forget who it was. Someone just drilled him and then started yelling at him. So it was, uh, I mean, it wasn't like a bunch of punches thrown. It was just a bunch of hugging. But it was, and, and Victorino just jumped in there for some reason. That but, was um, Eli Whiteside hopping. I remember Eli oh, yeah, yeah, Whiteside Eli. was hopping ready to go. And that hits Victorino in the back, and Victorino's thinking about something. And now we got action. And Eli Whiteside goes right after Polanco. I had a blast too, but I remember talking to Utley afterwards because I was young and crazy and didn't really care. And uh, I remember Utley just being like, I just hope nobody's hurt because he's a lot smarter than me and was like <laughs> actually thinking about the long term. And I was just like, hell yeah, let's go, baby. Rock star. <laughs> like mosh pit, baby. Oh, that's good stuff. All right. Now, before we get out of here, you had thoughts about the standings and that's exactly how it was presented to me. You're like, I got thoughts about the standings and whatever you throw that little breadcrumb out for me. I'm like, oh, I got to hear this. All right. So give me your thoughts about the state of the standings. I mean, we got some flow, some ebb and flow. We got some creepers, some creepers creeping up. And then in two days when this airs, it could be a little bit different. But right now, AL West, Houston Astros, half a game back of the Oakland Athletics, sneaky 24 and 17. You called them out a while ago. So uh, just something I noticed, just looking, like literally blankly looking at the standings. And the AL East is also insane to me right now. Four teams within two and a half games, all 25 and 17 Boston Red Sox, Toronto Blue Jays, 22 and 17, Tampa Bay Rays, 23 and 19. The Tampa Bay Rays, by the way, I think you've mentioned them a couple times and I haven't, I kind of scoffed at you, but the Rays are doing stuff and things. Uh, New York Yankees, 22 and 19 as well. They're the fourth place team, only two and a half games out and they are a perennial powerhouse. So talk to me a little bit about those little, that division, AL East and the AL West, the little Astros snookerooski up there. Yeah, you know, one of the things you said after we stopped recording last week was that maybe we should talk about how often we're wrong and how we're doing kind of a weekly baseball show. And we're, like sometimes we'll be like, oh, this team is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then they have like a seven game losing streak or something. But again, it's, it's a similar theme to last week where I'm looking at the standings and they kind of make sense to me. Like they they just sort of make sense that the Astros surge is not a surprise because they have the second best run differential in baseball. They're scoring more runs than their opponent and they're doing it often. And that is to me one of the most important stats, especially at this stage of the season. You still have a confusing NL East. You have a really, really strong AL East. Nothing has changed there. I mean, you know, even the NL Central, you've got the Reds are just three games back at the time of this recording. Like there's a big clump towards the middle. And that's what I was expecting. I Before the season, I'm looking at Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, Reds. And I'm like, I could see any one of these four teams taking the division. And right now, any one of those four teams can. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I just think the Astros have been quietly doing their work. And 
they've somehow stayed like low low key through all this because you know the Astros have been really good for a long time and um, it's pretty impressive it's pretty impressive and you know the central division I still and you're right we're wrong a lot but I still think the Cardinals are pretty much in my opinion the heavy favorite but that doesn't mean that things can't get weird because they often do in baseball and the Chicago Cubs have been playing pretty good ball because I think they were kind of they must have been. They must have made a little surge here. You know, I'm I'm usually hyper focused on the Giants and like really watching them, and then like slowly glossing over everything else. But the fact that they're only two and a half out is is something to pay attention to. Yeah, exactly. I can't make heads or tails of most of this stuff. At the same time, I'm not looking around and seeing other than the Red Sox still, the Giants still. Like I'm not looking around and going like, where did this come from? It it makes you know a little bit of sense, which you can't always say about baseball. All right, my last dagger to wrap this bad boy up, Grant, that I'm going to throw out there, and uh, it's sad, but I do think the San Diego Padres are coming. You think they're ascending? They're ascending. The Padres are coming. What's their run differential? Because I know that they're pitching. Run differential, as of this recording, is 47 uh, runs in the positive side of the ledger, which is good. I think that's good for fourth in baseball you know fourth or fifth it's really 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 strong and that's the thing about a lot of these divisions where you've got the the nl east well you know some teams have been outscored so you know like uh, the mets phillies braves have all been outscored in the season so it's like all right what do i believe with the nl west it is the giants dodgers and padres are all in the positive side of the ledger they've all outscored their opponents they all have a pythagorean record that is just as strong as their real record so it looks as like these three teams are legit through a third of the season, and that's really exciting. It was already exciting to do Padres-Dodgers, right? That, that was Godzilla versus King Kong. Just to throw a third team in there, now you've got Mothra flapping around. Like It's a really good dynamic, really strong dynamic. I don't know. I'm going to call them more like, uh, let's throw in like Megatron or something. You know, like, Give me a Transformer <laughs> in this mix. Robot versus animal versus dragon. I don't know. You know what? I would go Devastator. You know, when all the Constructicons would form one one thing, I, I want to see Devastator versus Godzilla versus Kong. I would watch that movie. I would pay a lot of money for that movie. Free for all, baby. FFA. It's gonna be a fun. It's gonna be fun watching uh, the months ahead. There's plenty to talk about. I like that they're clumped. I like that it's confusing, and I like that we're wrong. All right. This has been the Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week and we'll talk. uh, Let's see. Talk about baseball. Thanks for listening. I love coffee. (laughs) Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.